I, um, uh, I had this little uh, red jacket from Banana Republic that I was going to wear this morning, but I knew Jordan would have them color coordinated. Um, and I didn't want to come on stage and for y'all to think that I was going to continue to sing along. <laughs> so um, if you're able, remain standing. Um, and we'll be in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46. If you don't have a Bible and you want one to take home with you, there's um, these black hardback ones in the seat right in front of you. We'll be on page 908. All right, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46, and we'll go to verse 56. And it reads like this. And Mary said, or better, Mary sang, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and to his descendants forever just as he spoke to our ancestors. And Mary stayed with her, that is Elizabeth, for about three months. Then she returned to her home. Let's pray. Father, we need you. And on a day like today, Lord, Christmas Eve, we live, our world lives with a great sense of anticipation, God. Because we're familiar with your character as Father, um, we don't anticipate as those who have a sense of anxiety, wondering on if you're going to show up or if you'll come through. We anticipate, Lord, um, with a great sense of excitement, eager about the things that you'll do. So, Father, we pray that you would fill our hearts with joy today, even as our surroundings may not look particularly joyful, God. I pray you would fill us with a sense of peace, even if we may find ourselves in war zones, Father. Fill us with a sense of comfort, even if we're surrounded by strife. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you take your seat? You know, we spent the past few weeks and we've talked through these great songs uh, that remind us of our Lord coming. Christmas is a time where music really means a whole lot, and um, I've learned another lesson. There are two kinds of people um, in the world. There are um, those that believe that Mariah Carey's Merry Christmas is the greatest Christmas album of all time. 
uh, and those who haven't heard it all the way through. Uh, um, listen, I was like you until uh, uh, a few times in the past three weeks, two of my very, very close friends who do not know each other made that same bold claim, right? I was a fan of Boys to Men Christmas interpretation. Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah. But wait, right? It doesn't stop there. Um, and yesterday, uh, I came to believe uh, that Mariah Carey's Merry Christmas was the greatest Christmas album of all time. This is what music does, or what good songs do. Good songs are transcendent. They have this ability to lift you up out of your frustrating surroundings and circumstances and help you to endure them. Not just to endure them, but to endure them with a sense of joy. And they almost give you an amnesia of how bad things are. Um, yesterday, we were going to take a 30-minute trip up to Kennesaw to see some lights. We, I took my wife and my daughter, um, and it was a 30-minute trip. Uh, Mariah Carey's album is 38 minutes. Um, so we get on the road, and the road, the trip, because of traffic, ended up taking three times as long, an hour and 38 minutes. And I didn't realize it until my daughter said, Dad, how many times are we going to listen <laughs> to this album? The song was on repeat. Anybody that knows me knows that I hate traffic. I live less than a mile from here. My whole world takes place in a square mile because I don't want to sit in traffic. And here I found myself in one of the most frustrating surroundings. And I didn't notice because good music was playing. We find ourselves here in Luke chapter 1. And Mary, like so many of us, finds herself in, in some of the most frustrating surroundings. We talked about this a few uh, weeks ago. There's no shortage of praise songs or songs that we know the words to. But often we find ourselves stifled from praising God, not because we don't know the words to the songs, but because our surroundings are so frustrating. As we look at ourselves, the things that we know about ourselves, the things that we know, we're frustrated with the ways that we've let ourselves down. It's the end of the year. Go back to the resolutions that you made at the start of the year. We're not just frustrated with the things that we know about ourselves. We're frustrated with the things that we don't know about the future, how things are going to work out. And if anything, when it comes to living life with this joy, we want to live, we want to express our gratitude and thanks to God. We want to live with peace instead of anxiety. The problem is our surroundings are so frustrating and they are so real. We feel them very deeply, but God's goodness often feels like a fairy tale, something that we can't see or touch or embrace. Like we said a few weeks ago, um, 
when we think about our lives, we realize it's so much more easy to worry than to worship, isn't it? So how do we do that? How do we find the strength to worship when our lives, both ourselves and our surroundings, are these works in progress where we don't know how things will pan out? How do we find the strength and the resolve to worship and to live with a sense of peace and not with anxiety? Here's how. If I had to put my sermon in a sentence, it would be a charge for us on this Christmas Eve not to wait for God to finish his work for you to start to worship. Don't wait for God to finish working before you start worshiping. That's a great phrase, but how do we get there? I've got three brief points here for you. The very first one is this brief, Deborah. You don't have to smile, okay? <laughs> brief, I promise. The very first one is this. Look ahead, not around. Look ahead, not around. Um, my wife has vision that I don't, all right? So I'm a part of a small uh, group of folks here at the church that started a coffee company a few weeks or, or a few years back. Our shop is four blocks up the road. A few months back, it came. We've had that space for three years. And I remember when we used to walk into this place that was just this shell, me and Chandra would both walk in. Um, but if you looked at our faces, you would be confused as to what the space looked like. It was a box, a shell, empty. Chandra's eyes lit up and she smiled. My face dropped and I was in despair. Do you know why? Because I looked around at how things were, what they looked like, the dirty floors, the spider webs, the things that were in disarray. Chandra can go into a place like that, and she looks ahead at what could be, and she sees the people that'll come in, how the backsplash will lay out. While I'm focusing on my surroundings, she's looking at the future, at what this could be. The reason why I bring that up is because that sets the tone here. Like Pastor Tim preached last week, Mary finds herself as a teenager in a town that nobody really speaks well of. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 28, it starts off and it says uh, this. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Look at verse 29. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. She gets a message that an angel of the Lord looks at her and says something great about her. But if you would have looked at both of their faces, you would have imagined that they were looking at two completely different things. She was troubled, driven to despair. Why? She was probably focused more on her surroundings than her future. Look here at verse 29. It says this, or, or Verse 30, then the angel told her, don't be afraid, Mary. Look, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him 
Jesus, and do you know what he does over the course of these next verses? Gives her 10 future-oriented statements. He will be great. He will be called the Son of God. He will sit on the throne. He will reign. His kingdom will have no end. The Holy Spirit will come. Power will overshadow you. He will be called the Son of God, and nothing will be impossible. What he was trying to remind her was, no, no, look, I know God's work hasn't finished yet. I know that your surroundings are still in disarray. But I don't want you to look at what surrounds you. I want you to look at what's ahead of you. I want you to look to the future. You know, the interesting thing is that after he says all of this, Mary doesn't go straight into the song and start to, to praise God. The very next thing that takes place here is the angel says, I right, look, go down. Your cousin Elizabeth, who is barren, who couldn't have kids, who is past the childbearing age, go down and spend some time with her. Elizabeth starts to speak with her, confirms what God has said, and now Mary can sing. Do you know why? Because sometimes it, we do, we can pick up God's word and read and the words jump off the page and it changes our lives. But sometimes we need to hear God's word repeated from human lips before it really sinks in. Maybe it's not just about you and your relationship with God. Maybe the missing link to your encouragement, maybe the missing link for you to be able to learn how to look ahead of you instead of around you is your relationship, not just with God, but with God's people. Sometimes our songs only come after God's word is confirmed from human lips. We look ahead, not around. She goes and she visits Elizabeth, who is six months pregnant at the time. I just want y'all to hold that in, in the back of your head. Once we start to understand that God doesn't need to finish his work in us before he treats us like finished products, it changes how we look out at the rest of what God does. And Mary starts to sing this song, and there's two things that take place as she sings this song, the very first one is this, right? If we're ever going to start worshiping before God finishes his work, the first thing that we have to do is we got to learn to look ahead of us, not around us. The next thing that we have to learn how to do is how to rehearse God's character. Rehearse God's character. Um, I hate being needy. Uh, I needed my insurance company uh, for our house not to drop us at the end of the year. Um, and I was on the phone with them, and we were back and forth with them. And I realized how much I hate being needy, uh, especially with people who aren't dependable, all right? Normally, I don't use superlatives, but the insurance company that we had was um, the absolute worst, right? Full of villains and hooligans and very, very bad people. They were the worst. 
I may have overstated my point. Um, I actually don't mind being needy if I need something from somebody that is dependable and somebody who I have favor with. I'm diamond medallion on Delta. That deserves a round of applause. I worked very hard to get, get there. And do you know what I find out? Um, I do not have a problem being needy with them. I got a special phone number that I can call that they'll help me out. I enjoy being needy with them because they are so helpful. I enjoy being needy so much that when I'm in the airport and things go bad for people, I run around like Batman trying to solve other people's problems. <laughs> because I've learned how dependable they are. I rehearse the character of Delta over and over and over again. When you realize that the character of God is dependable, you find yourself, even when things are going wrong all around you, being able to rehearse the goodness of God. That's what Mary does here. Look here. And Mary's saying, look, my soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. There's this deep praise. She's going to use these words soul and spirit to me, right? It's this internal praise that can't be shaken by these external circumstances. She's talking about the greatness of God for her, those words in God my Savior, verse 48, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. What she's saying is this, look, God treated me like I was a finished product, even when I was still a work in process. That's favor. That's goodness from God. And then she goes on and says this, look, surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. That sounds self-centered. It sounds like she's saying, oh, everybody from here on out is going to look at me and say, look, Look at how blessed she was. But this is not what, 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 what she's saying at all. If we keep on reading, she's saying, no, no, look, look. People are going to look in there and, and they're going to call me blessed, this next verse, because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy or his character is faithful. What she's saying is that my blessing is not the end of the story. My blessing is is a boulevard, not a cul-de-sac. That as God's goodness travels down this road, people are never going to look, and their praise isn't meant to stop with me. That as they look at what God has done for me, they're going to be reminded of God's greatness, not mine. Because you go through the Bible, and what you'll find is that when Mary is introduced, we get no backstory. There is no, look at the 16 years of how faithful that she's been, and look at what God did for her. What we get is God showing and bestowing his favor on a random person that could have been anybody. She says all this stuff about her at first, singular verb, my soul praises 
God has looked with favor on me. And then look at how she ends in verse 50. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. She starts and she focuses on what God has done for her, but then her view expands and she says, no, no, no. Look at what everybody else in this world, as time goes on, is going to see. Look at how the generations are going to be convinced of the goodness of God. And she starts this praise. I want you to hear this. Before God has done anything. This is month one. She's probably, she may not even be sick yet. She's definitely not showing. And she has this deep praise, this deep conviction in what God will do. And I think it teaches you and I something when it comes to the character of God. Our praise for God's work doesn't even start when God starts to work. It starts when God gives his word. We don't even have to wait until we see what God has done. If God says it, his character is good for it. We can start to praise him. God's mercy, I want you to hear this, is not just reserved for people that are needy. Because everybody's needy. But what she says here at the end, his mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. In the Bible, we're going to see this term, the fear of the Lord, and it's not just being scared of God. The fear of the Lord means at least three things. It is us being aware of our place. God is big. We are small. It's us being aware of our dependence. God is dependable, and I need him. And it's us being constantly aware of his presence. God is here. God's blessing is not just reserved for those that are needy. It's reserved for those who know that they're needy. And that's a completely different thing. The question is, how do I know that I'm needy? How do you know that you're the type of person that is aware of the neediness that you have for God? Here's how you know. It shows in how you respond when God comes through like he said he would come through. If you're waiting on God to come through and he comes through and your first words to yourself or or to God are, it is about time. That's a clear sign that you may feel a sense of entitlement when it comes to the goodness of God. When you've been praying and believing for God to do something, and God does it, and your response is not, it's about time. Your response is, but why me, God? That's a clear sign that your heart is full of the humility, your heart is full of the appropriate and right fear and reverence of God. Mary finds herself 
starting to praise God before he even starts his work because she's learned to look ahead, not to look around. She's learned to rehearse God's character. And finally, um, she's learned to rest in God's closure. Rest in God's closure. Um, I did the math this morning, and um, I'm 39 years old, um, and I've been in school for 27 years, okay? Um, for the 27 years that I've been in school, um, I have never, right, and this is not hyperbole, I have never, not once, turned in an assignment early. Uh, but when anybody asked me how the work was going, I would lie. I'd be like, just about done, right? Oh, no, 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 I just got to wrap a few things up. I got to type a few words, just about done. Now, the reason why I said that is because if I didn't, whoever asked me wouldn't have a sense of closure. Now, they shouldn't have a sense of closure because I lied, but I gave them a false sense of closure so that I can procrastinate in peace, right? When it comes to the work that God is doing, God doesn't give us any false closure. When it comes to the work that God is doing, God's word are his actions so God can speak about things that haven't happened yet in the past tense. It's already done. And the people that have learned how to start their worshiping before God has finished his working are people that rest in the closure that comes from God's character, not his action. Look at what Mary says here. Look, again, this is the beginning. All she has is a word from God. That's it. She hasn't even been able to run to CVS and get a pregnancy test to see if it's actually true. And she says this, look, he has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones. He has exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. Do you notice what she says there? She talks about all these things that God has done, the only problem is he hasn't done any of these things yet. The government that was occupying and oppressing their people was still in power. The people that looked down on her were still looking down. The people that were hungry, their stomachs were still grumbling. But she has enough closure to be able... Not to just praise God for what he will do, but she's so confident that God will come through on his word that she has a sense of closure and she's praising him as if he's actually done it already. This is good news for us. It's good news for us because it means that on a day like today, the eve of a date that we've set to commemorate 
the coming of our Lord Jesus, we can be reminded that our anticipation of God's work is not in vain. We can be reminded that if God made a promise for salvation, if God made a promise not just to save us from our sins, but to set the world back in order, that it is as good as done. You know, this is, this is good news for us, uh, but it's also complicated news for us. Do you know why? As we look through this, what we see is that this is not just full of words like God satisfies the needy. God gives us what we need. But you see these words that look, God has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones. It is this reversal of sorts. It's saying that as God wants to bring justice into the world, that look, justice and salvation and judgment go hand in hand. That if God is really going to set things right, then what it means is that the people that have unjustly exalted themselves, God's got to bring them down if he's ever going to set things right. This is where it's complicated for us here in this room. Because we can look back on a year and be disappointed with ourselves that we're these works in progress. But as we look back, some of the disappointment that we have in ourselves are lies from the enemy. Some of the disappointment that we have in ourselves is justified. That we have been proud. God has blessed us with more than what we need. And we've seen people with less than what they need asking for just the basic necessities of their life. And we've been too proud to offer $20 that we wouldn't miss. Instead, we hit them with the silent. And what this says is that, no, 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 make no mistake. God is going to be true to his word. Here's the beautiful part about all of that. It's not as if these verses are just splitting people up into two categories. We as people are complicated beings, complicated souls. And one of the good parts about the character of God, things that may have been murky in the past, is that as the Lord Jesus comes into the world, he clarifies what it is that he means. This is the beauty of him being born. For people that refuse to look ahead at the promises of God, but only want to look at their surroundings, God chose to incarnate himself as a man to be on our level so folks would be forced to look at him. As people who would ignore the character of God, God brought himself down here to make his character not just some message that we read on a page so that people could 
touch it and see it and feel it. And do you know what we see in the Lord Jesus as he lives his life? One of my favorite sections of Scripture comes in John chapter 3 to 5. Y'all can read this at home when you get home. And you see Jesus' interaction with four people. Two of them are exalted. One from a religious perspective. One from a societal perspective. Nicodemus, a religious leader who is haughty and puffed up. And in chapter 4, you get a Roman official. Somebody that is on the side of the people that are unjustly occupying this place. And do you know what you see? The high and mighty find themselves humbled at the feet of Jesus in deep need. But you also see Jesus meeting a woman at a well, an outcast. She couldn't even go to the well in the early morning when the rest of the folks did. So she goes at high noon. You see Jesus in John 5 meeting a man at a pool who had been on this mat lame for 38 years. And you see Jesus being approached by the high and mighty, but Jesus approaching the people that are humble. And do you know what Jesus does with the high and mighty? He humbles them. But he doesn't stop there. After they are humbled, do you know what he does? He meets their needs and sends them away satisfied. This is the good news that comes from the complicated news. If we do look at the past and we see that there are ways that we should have been disappointed with ourselves and we find ourselves humbled and low, we know that we can go to Jesus who meets the needs of people that are humbled and low. He doesn't just grind us down to leave us as dust. Sometimes he grinds us down to remind us that we're dust. And then he builds us back up and breathes new life into us and sends us on our way. Neediness isn't a burden. Neediness is just the prerequisite for you and I embracing God's good character. Jesus shows us our need and then satisfies our need. And the good news is that if he's done it for somebody else, he'll do it for you. Here's what I love about how this story ends out. Verse 56 seems like an obscure verse. Read that at the end. It says this. And Mary stayed with her about three months. Then she returned home. Why put that there? Why is that important? Here's why it's important. Because when the angel of the Lord came to Mary, who stood in disbelief, and told her to go spend time with her cousin, he says, yo, go spend time with her because uh, she's six months pregnant. All right. I didn't get that amen, so here's a little biology lesson. Uh, most people stay pregnant for about nine months. 
I think what Luke is trying to help us see, Luke, who is a doctor, is trying to help us see is that it seems as if she stayed around just long enough to see God come through on his promise to somebody else. And in seeing that, she felt, oh, now I really have all the closure that I need. You don't have to wait for God to finish before you start worshiping. And the way that we do that is we look ahead of us to what God has promised, not around us to what we see. We rehearse God's character and we rest in God's closure. Closure not being God finishing his work. Closure being God giving us his word. And so the only encouragement that I have for you, church, is today. Keep your eyes open and your throats warm. Here's what I mean by keep your eyes open. Um, It's often easier to see God's work in somebody else's life than it is to see it in yours. We are unaware of how much we grow. We're unaware of how much the people that we spend the most time with grow. Every time I bring my daughter in here, somebody comes and says, my, how she's grown. People are often better able to see that than we are. And the reason why I bring that up at the end, the same way that I brought it up at the start, is that what Jesus did in coming into the world was not just to repair the relationship between us and God, but to to repair the relationship with us and each other. And one of the ways that you can be sure that relationship is repaired is this. When you see God's work in somebody else, you find yourself more joyful than jealous. You find yourself saying, Not, I wish that were me, but this is evidence of the favor that God has on his children, and God has no favorite children. It may not come about for me in the same way, but I don't look at this as evidence that God loves them more. I look at this as evidence that, oh, God loves me like he loves them, so I don't have to wait until God comes through for me before I start praising. Church, you don't have to wait for God to finish before you start worshiping. And the Lord Jesus proves that. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the ways that you've been incredibly kind, not just to us, but to the people to our right and left. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see them, not as cul-de-sacs, Lord, but as boulevards, avenues that are meant to testify of your greatness. Father, this season, would you fill us with a sense of joy and hope? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.